with Junk Podcast. First of all, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. I know I took last week off. Uh, to be honest with y'all, um, my wife and I are closing on a house. Like, we're buying a house here in the process of that. So between that going on last Thursday and everything going on with work, I, I just had a busy day. didn't have time to record. And then this week, I'm not being lazy. I'm not trying to be late on you guys. I just, this is Friday now. I'm recording. I wanted last night's All-Star votes to come in, and I wanted to watch the Lakers-Nets game before I put out this one, because I thought the Lakers-Nets game would tell us a lot about what, like, going for these two teams, especially because that could be who we see in the finals. There's a very good chance that those are the two teams, certainly with the most star power, that we that we could see in the finals. So I wanted to watch that game. Quick recap of how that game went. I guess what I can tell you is if the Nets don't have Kevin Durant, but the Lakers don't have Schroeder and Anthony Davis, the Nets are going to win that one more often than not. Um, it was a very interesting game in the sense that Harden and Kyrie actually played pretty well together. And I'll, it's interesting to see how they're playing together. I thought Kyrie would try to be a lot more ball dominant. And he's kind of given that role more to Harden and taken more of the two guard role, similar to what he did with the Cavs way back when. Not sure he still had that in him, but he is doing that. Uh, overall, okay game. Nothing really to tell us too much going forward. Like I said, Anthony Davis didn't play, Dennis Schroeder didn't play, and Durant didn't play. But the Nets did win. It was a good win for them. And then we'll, now, uh, today for the whole rest of the pod, we're going to get into the all-star picks uh, for the NBA. Then we'll recap college basketball and football. And then to set you everyone up for baseball season, we're going to do my 10 best players in baseball uh, going forward. Then quick fact, Tim, we're out of here. So to start off, I'm going to pick my NBA all-stars. I wanted to get the starters in last night. And I know a lot of you might be thinking to yourself, why does it matter? Like, it's not all NBA. Like, why does the NBA all-star game matter? In reality, I believe with all my heart that is a snapshot of who is relevant at that time in the league, and that's why it matters looking back on basketball reference and stuff. People might not remember, Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver made an all-star team in 2015 with the Hawks team. I'm going to mention them a little bit here because that Hawks team does remind me a lot of this current Utah Jazz team, just a lot of good players. And right now, a lot of people think three of the players from that Jazz team are going to make the all-star game off the bench. We'll see how it goes. The Jazz are playing awesome basketball. They've won like nine of their last ten. They're on like an eight-game win streak. The only team that's beaten them in the last ten games is the Nuggets. And Jokic had like 47. And the Nuggets, I think, shot like 60% from three. So they've been playing awesome basketball. The Jazz are really, really good. I'm worried I'm getting 2015 Hawks vibes because during the regular season, that team was amazing. Like They were the, the, the Spurs of the East. They're moving the ball so well. They have so many good role players. The team's just playing so amazing. And in reality, though, when was the last time a team of all very solid players without a superstar, really, win the finals or super go super deep? You could argue maybe that that, that the last Spurs team that won in 2014, maybe that's the team that, you know, or 2015, that that's the team that, that won the finals and didn't have a star. But I, I will always go against you saying that Tim Duncan was an absolute star back then. I don't care. At any time in his career, Tim Duncan was one of the greatest players in the league. So you look at the history, of the, I mean, the Pistons come to mind, that Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace team, like that was a very fun team, that, that's no super duper like elite superstar on that team, probably Rip Hamilton was also there. That, so that's probably the last time it's happened, and in the current NBA, I'd love to see the Jazz do it, I love this Utah Jazz team, but in reality, can I see them getting past the Clippers? Maybe. Can I see them getting past the Lakers? I'm not so sure about that one. And if they're lucky, they'll stay the first seed. And the Lakers and the Clippers will be the two and the three seed, so they can battle it out. And they only have to play one of them. That's the path I think they need to get to get to the finals. Um, through the East, I think I would pick them for the finals. I think they would be the best team in the East in my eyes. But in that Western Conference, it's tough. We'll see how it is going forward. But I do really like that team. I should mention them. So first we're going to do 
And the other reason I want to get, I want to mention it as well, is that there's players throughout history that either have or have not made an All-Star team. And I know myself as a kid, when I was, you know, a young little whippersnapper, look, getting in the history of the NBA, I would argue that Tim Hardaway, you know, run TFC Tim Hardaway was better than Penny Hardaway and Kevin Johnson because he had a few more All-Star games under his belt. Are you kidding me? Like I should smack the kid right now. Um, I mean, Mark Price had four, Penny had four, Kevin Johnson only had three All-Star game appearances, then Tim Hardaway had five. Now, a little bit longer career there, a little bit longer prime. Tim Hardaway had one of the greatest crossovers in history, huge fan favorite, and a great career with Tim Hardaway. But I'm taking Penny Hardaway and Kevin Johnson over him every single time, and probably Mark Price. So it's relevant and it's important that the right players get into these All-Star games, because looking back at the basketball references... That's who we're going to remember. Or if you look at a page, you're comparing players, you're going to look at All-NBA, you're going to look at All-Star games, and those numbers are going to matter a little bit going forward. And that's one of the reasons why, actually, spoiler alert, I do not have Mike Conley on my All-Star ballot, and that is not because of the fact that he's maybe not deserving. I do think that the players I have in are a little bit more deserving than he is. He's put up 16-3-5 in his career, but the one reason I don't have him is kind of, I think, in his favor, because he hasn't made an All-Star game. Jeff Teague, I said, has. Kyle Korver has. Tom Gugliotta made an all-star game. Christian Leitner made an all-star game. There are plenty of players that made all-star games that aren't all that great in the grand scheme of things. But Michael Conley never has. And I think if he doesn't get it, he will be remembered as the best player to never make an all-star team. He was in the Western Conference with the Memphis and the now with the Jazz. Tough competition. Always had Chris Paul, Steph Curry, just a lot of great guards. James Harden for a while there in the West that he had to contend with to, to make an all-star game. And he was never able to. So I'm leaving him off the ballot on purpose. And I do think that the guys I have ahead of him probably deserve it. We'll see. But I definitely left him off on purpose because of the fact that, you know, if Michael Conley doesn't make it, he'll be remembered as the best player to not make an all-star team. And I think going down throughout history, he'll his name will get remembered. He'll get more conversations, possibly. Because you can't tell me, like, Jeff Teague is better than Mike Conley. That's just not a reality I want to live in. And if kids are saying that, they're crazy. But I think if he doesn't make it, we'll remember talking about him as the best player that never made an all-star game. So that's my spiel on Conley here. Looking at the stars of the West, we have Steph, Luka, Braun, Kawhi, and Jokic. Uh, makes sense. LeBron's the captain. I wouldn't change up anything there, really. You could argue maybe Paul George should be a starter over Kawhi. He has had a great season, but I'd give the nod to Kawhi as well. So those are the starting lineups. On the bench here, I've got Anthony Davis making it, but I don't think he's going to play in the All-Star game, so he's kind of giving me a leeway to add another player in the West here. But So I have Davis in there, but technically he's not going to make it for the purpose of this. And my last guy I say at the bottom here will be the one I have subbed in for him is the wild card spot. So my forwards, I got Paul George off the bench, Rudy Gobert, and Zion. Paul George, like I just mentioned, just had a great season. Rudy Gobert has to be in there. He's the best player in the best team of the West at the moment. Then you have Zion. Zion's had a good year. Um, defensively speaking, he hasn't been spectacular by any means. But offensively, he's just like he's just going to get you 20 points. He doesn't really have anyone around him that's setting him up. The plays aren't really run for him. The spacing's horrible for him half the time. And he's still playing at a very elite level. Like He's, he's just an awesome player. And I think the fans want it. I mean, I would have bet at the beginning of the season John Morant would have gotten over him. I know Morant's gotten hurt. But, you know, give me Zion in the All-Star game. He's thick. He's fun. He's high-flying. I do think he jumped higher at Duke. I don't think that's a, that's a lie either. He is a little bit less athletic now in the league than he was at Duke. That Duke, man, he was crazy athlete. He was insane. Now I wish he rebounded a little bit more in the league, but he's scoring efficiently. He's scoring a lot. And, you know, points matter for the All-Star game especially, even though I'm not so sure they are. I believe it was over, like, you know, 50 players that score over 20 points per game now in the league. I think it's 46, actually. Over 46 players average more than 20 points per game in the league. That's insane. Maybe we shouldn't value points so much. But for this, I'm going to value them. I got Zion in there as the forward. My two, you know, first ballot guards are 
Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell. I actually had a. I know Luca got voted in, but when I was trying to pick my my starters, I was deciding between Luca and Dame. Honestly, uh, I gave it to Luca because he's a little bit better rebounder, but that's about it. Steph's had an amazing season, so I don't think Dame can get in over him, which has been a sad thing for most of Damian Lillard's career because he's one of the best players in the league. And to not be an All Star starter, but maybe even make second team All NBA or first team All NBA is kind of crazy, but he probably is going to because the guards in the West are just that good. But Damian Lillard 100% deserves it. He's been amazing. As well as Donovan Mitchell, second best, if not best player on the best team in the West right now, the Utah Jazz. Like I said, I love Donovan Mitchell. Spida is so fun. He, he gets absolute buckets for them. I, I hated the whole Shaq thing earlier in the year. And he was like, oh, I'm not sure you could be the best player on the best team, barbecue chicken, whatever the heck Shaq was going off about there. But giving Donovan Mitchell as, as my guard off the bench. Then you have the two wild card spots. Uh, Chris Paul, giving it to him. The Phoenix, Phoenix Suns have been playing great ball. It came down between him and Devin Booker, and I think they've just been better with Chris Paul on the court. And they, as a team, you know the pace is better. If you watched that Nets Suns game earlier this week, it was awesome. I know the Nets ended up winning it, but Chris Paul scored like 11 straight there in the fourth quarter and was just keeping the Suns lead on his own. And then he finally deferred to Booker, and Booker, you know, had like the last few possessions to himself. He didn't really do anything with them. Like Booker was not carrying the team anymore, and I don't think he scored there in the end. But Chris Paul, I'm pretty sure he hit like two threes, got fouled, hit a free, hit his free throws, and then hit two more twos, and then just didn't shoot again for the rest of the game. Like, are you kidding me? The guy was going crazy, and they didn't even run the final play for him. They gave Booker an isolation, and he missed it. But it's not just that singular game. Chris Paul has been awesome this year. He's been awesome for a long time. I think the coaches will give him the respect he deserves, and he'll make an all-star team. And my last wild card, you know, I didn't put in Conley. I went with DeMar DeRozan. You got to remember, the Spurs are the sixth seed right now in the East. DeMar DeRozan's putting up 25 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists a game. Career high in assists. And I, I actually tweeted this earlier in the year. Every single time I tune in and see DeMar DeRozan play basketball, I am impressed, and I, I like feel bad that I forgot how good he was. DeMar DeRozan's awesome, and he got a bad rap after leaving Toronto or getting traded from Toronto. He thought he wanted to stay there forever, and he's been good with the Spurs ever since. People just don't want to watch the Spurs for some reason, and they don't get a lot of national televised games, but DeMar DeRozan's had a great season so far, and I think he's earned the all-star nod off the bench. Going into the East, the starters were Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Embiid. Looking at those starters, I actually had Jalen Brown in as my starter instead of Kyrie. Uh, Kyrie missed some games this year. He has been amazing. The, the whole Nets big three, quote-unquote, so far has been really impressive. And so I, I'm not hugely like against Kyrie getting the nod. The fans are the ones that got him in more than the writers that, that voted. But Hard, uh, I think that he probably deserves it. They didn't give it to Harden because he came from the West and the whole beginning of the year scandal stuff, which makes sense. But I would have given it to Jalen Brown as a starter. He, he's been insane this year. He's shoot, scoring over 26 game, over 52% from the field. Absolutely elite guard play. Him and Tatum have both been amazing. And the Celtics just aren't going to win without those two going off. And they've just had to every single game this year. And they've had a lot of pressure on them. The Celtics have underperformed so far. I think they'll pick it up as the season moves along. But Jalen Brown would have been my starter. So since he's not starting, I would have had Kyrie off the bench. But now I have Harden and Jalen Brown. Even as mad as Harden made me earlier in the year, he's still leading the leading league in assists. He scored 26 a game on 50-40-90 shooting. And he, I... I actually like his style of play a little bit more with the Nets than I did with the Rockets. He's deferring more, and I think the team is better for it, the way he's been playing with this Nets team. There's still a lot of holes in this game, and defensively, he still leaves a lot to be desired, but he's earned the nod. It makes sense to me. 
I asked just to mention uh, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Embiid are the the forward starters there in the East. That makes sense to me as well. Kevin Durant um, as the co-captain absolutely makes sense because the fans are going to vote him that every single time, even though Joel Embiid's been the superior player. And it would be hilarious if Joel Embiid was picking the team because you remember Giannis saying he didn't want Harden because he wants some that passed the ball. Imagine Joel Embiid out there. He'd be roasting everybody when he's picking his team there for the All-Star game. Looking at the forwards there off the bench, I got Chris Middleton, average of 26-6. and six. Last year, I think one of the reasons they lost in the playoffs is because he didn't get the ball enough. I mean, Chris Middleton is one of the best secondary or best, best second best players in the NBA on his team right now. He, he makes great decisions. He spreads the floor well, moves well without the ball, defends well, is facilitating well, six assists a game, can handle the ball in situations, can get a bucket at the end of a shot clock. Everything he does, I like, and, and he would be an all-star starter for me or off the bench forward for me. Jason Tatum as well. I just mentioned him having a great season with the Celtics. And then I got Ben Simmons as a forward. And I know I'm leaving a lot of players off that might be more deserving. And Ben Simmons is not putting up a career in in points per game. I know he just had 47 against the Jazz in in that one win a couple days ago. But, I mean, in that loss against the Jazz. But Embiid wasn't in that game. But the thing I love with Ben Simmons so much is he probably should be Defensive Player of the Year at this point. He's deflecting passes like no other. And in the last two weeks, you see him guard LeBron James and do a spectacular job defensively on him. Then he goes out, and if you watch that Portland Trailblazers Sixers game, it was amazing the way that Ben Simmons was guarding Damian Lillard. Lillard almost didn't know what he could do with it. It looked like like an older brother guarding a toddler, you know, messing around with him as he's trying to dribble the ball by him, playing against each other in the driveway. Like, Ben Simmons is just as fast as the fastest wings, just as strong as the strongest forwards, and just as long as the opposing centers for the most part. Like, he's not going to guard Embiid, but he doesn't have to. He plays with Joel Embiid. And so, give me Ben Simmons as my starter. I love the role he's playing on this team. He's getting to the basket whenever he wants. I don't think he needs a jump shot to succeed. As long as he plays like this, moving as hard as he is, screening off ball as much as he is, just the way he plays the game, he's been awesome. He's been amazing. And after I give this whole spiel on why points don't matter, one of my reserves is actually going to be Zach Levine. And the reason is... I understand he doesn't facilitate like Trey Young does. I understand that in his body, he should be a better defensive player than he is. I do think he's been better this season than a lot of people give him credit for, and certainly better this season than he has been in the past. Still not amazing, but I think he's been fairly average, if not a little bit above average, defensively this season. But the thing with Levine is he's one of the most efficient, high-volume scorers in the league right now. Only Beal, Curry, and Damian Lillard are scoring more points per game at an even close efficiency that Zach Levine is. Zach Levine's been balling out there with the Wolves. He's carrying the team every single night. If you look at clutch points in the fourth quarter, he's only behind Damian Lillard. If you look at the percentages, he's up there in true shooting percentage with Steph Curry. He, he's one of the best players just putting the ball in the basket in the league. And I think if you're going to be that good at it, you deserve a spot in the All-Star game this year. And I know that's leaving off certain players that might be more deserving, but I got Sabonis. Um, and then I have Levine, and there's my spoiler alert. My last um, wild card is DeMontis Sabonis. It came down between him and Julius Randle, actually, which I can't believe I'm saying Julius Randle for an all-star bid, especially after this offseason. I never would have guessed a Nick for the all-star game. But, I mean, DeMontis Sabonis, I gave the nod to just because as a team in the East, they have played more Western Conference teams than a lot of the other teams at the top of the East right now. Their schedule's been a lot tougher, and they're battling, and they're still in the mix with it. And DeMontis Sabonis, he does everything Julius Randle does, but a little bit better. He's, he's been a great player so far this year, and I think he deserves the nod for the All-Star game another year in a row here. Which means that I did leave off a few players, and I wanted to mention some players that I left off. Julius Randle, like I said, Trey Young, and Fred VanVleet. I probably would have given the nod to Fred VanVleet over Trey Young. The way the Hawks are playing this year is not very impressive, honestly. They, they should be better than they are. They have more talent than they do, and I think they revolve too much around Trey Young. He doesn't play enough defense, and he takes too many bad shots, and I think that's why they're falling. 
Other guys I consider Drew Holiday. Great season there, moving with the Bucks. Uh, very similar to you know Chris Middleton getting in there, but not quite at that level, of course, of Chris Middleton. But defensively, good shooter, can handle the ball, helps that team a lot. And I think the playoffs is going to help that team a lot as well. And then Tobias Harris, uh, you know, great season with the Sixers. Barely gave the nod to Ben Simmons over him. I think if it was the West, I might have given the nod to any of these guys uh, to get in that DeMar DeRozan role, but they didn't get quite there. And another person I left off is Bam Adebayo, who earlier in the year was one of my defensive players of the year. Really hard to say I don't have Jimmy Butler or a Bam Adebayo, but the Heat just have underperformed so far. I think in a normal year, they'd be a little bit closer to 500. I mean, there's a short amount of games that they've played so far for the, for this All-Star game, and if they go on a win streak between now and the All-Star game, either of them could slot in, and it probably would be Bam at this point, but I left them off just because I think at this point, they, quite, they just haven't quite deserved an All-Star game spot in the East. The East was very tough, though, overall. Now it's time to move into the wonderful world of college basketball. And the first thing I have to say, because I didn't get to say it last week, because I said, again, I didn't record, is North Carolina beat Duke. A little bit funny story of that game. I actually was out to eat with my um, in-law family, my, my wife's family, uh, her parents, and her um, aunt and uncle, Aunt Sherry, and, and Uncle Terry uh, for Aunt Sherry's birthday. And we were sitting at a Texas Roadhouse, and they were getting ready to you know leave during the game. There's about a minute left, and so I whispered to my wife, and I'm like, hey, you know, we got to hold this up here. We can't leave right now. I, I think this isn't going to go well. I was just nervous for the Carolina teams. I didn't like what they were doing. I was like, we got to stall here. I got to watch the end of this game. So we were able to stall and sit there while everyone was laughing at me, clapping and screaming in the middle of a Texas Roadhouse. But Carolina got the win. I knew they would. And since then, something that's happened is Jalen Johnson, you know, probably going to be a top a lottery pick in the in the NBA draft here coming up. He decided to leave Duke. I think it was a stupid move for him because he could have just like played the good guy card and you know said he's not going to play this year because he's worried about his foot getting hurt or something and just sat on the bench and rode the pines for the rest of the year. Instead, he decided he's he's, he's leaving the team completely. He emptied his locker. Like he quit. It's not just leaving the team. He absolutely quit. He's not opting out of the season. You can't opt out after this part of the season. He quit on Coach K. He quit on the brotherhood of the two Blue Devils, which is a little bit funny to me. But he, he left. And because that happened, I don't know what's going on there in Syracuse with Jim Beheim. Maybe maybe Coach K has pictures of Jim Beheim that Beheim doesn't want out. I know he's 76 years old, so who knows. But I can't understand why the fact Jim Beheim would go out there and say that the Duke team is better without Jalen Johnson. He said because Jalen Johnson left, this Duke team got better. And I'm, I'm perplexed. I can't figure out why on earth he'd say that. And then I think I kind of realized why. On this coming Monday, Syracuse is playing at Duke. So I think Beheim's just putting himself, he's going to lose that game. He knows he's going to lose that game. And so Coach K went over and he talked to Beheim. He's like, hey, hey, Coach, you say that we're better without Jalen Johnson. Then when we beat you, it's not as bad on you and makes us look good. So now both we both teams here. We can make the tournament. You know, we can work something out. We'll both, you know, kick it to Carolina and try to figure something out like that. Uh, in reality, I don't know why Bayham would say that other than that, besides the fact that he's worried about playing Duke on Monday. But I thought it was pretty funny that he did come out and say that because it didn't really make any sense to me why he would come out and just do that for no reason to say that they're better without Jalen Johnson. But it's probably a... I don't know if it hurts Duke all that much. I don't think Duke had any aspirations left in this season, but losing him probably hurts fans. I mean, probably hurts you know people watching the games because NBA fans are going to be less tuned in more than likely. Jalen Johnson, he's still probably going to be a lottery pick in the draft. Maybe move down because of this whole thing. You don't really want a guy that's going to quit on his team. He also quit on his team in high school, I read as well. So who knows really what's going on with him, but it was an interesting thing that happened. Crazy stuff's going on in the Big Ten. I think right now we can pick between the four teams. 
that to win the Big Ten. Michigan's in the lead right now. And with that, I got Juwan Howard as my coach of the year at this point. I know Mark Fuse had a great season there at Gonzaga, and he probably should get it, honestly. I mean, he's one of the greatest college basketball teams we've ever seen. But give me Juwan Howard, actually. The stuff he's doing in Michigan, and, and I just love it, too, because I, I guess I want everything that Juwan Howard's doing there in Michigan is what I want in Penny Hardaway to do in Memphis. But Penny Hardaway went from the Memphis Tigers. He's turning it into the Memphis Pennies. When I think Juwan Howard would tattoo the Michigan M on his chest. Like, he's a Michigan through and through Wolverine. I love everything that he's doing there. And it's really impressive how Michigan's been playing ball, especially coming back from this whole COVID hiatus that they were on. Then Illinois, second in, in the Big Ten right now, followed by Ohio State. They're both tied there with the records, though. And Iowa, they're fourth. I'm not sure Iowa can take the top spot. It would take a heck of a win um, streak and a few you know, a few good luck things to happen. But I could see them making noise in the tournament, both the conference and the national tournament. I mean, Iowa's a great team. I've said it before on here. And I, I would love to see Illinois sneak in and take that bid for Michigan. But that, that that's basically it. Then I, there's a few more things I wanted to mention here college basketball-wise. I wanted to do some of the best bets, actually, that I have. So right now, if you're going to bet on a team to win the NCAA tournament, I would just put money, a little bit of money on Gonzaga, a little bit on Baylor. You're probably good there. Plus 270 for Gonzaga and plus 300 for Baylor. I know those odds aren't great, but like they're the two best teams, especially Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is one of the best teams we've ever seen in college basketball. Uh, if you know team, you know I always say this. I love a lot. I love this Texas team. Plus 2,000. I already put my, my money a little bit in on Texas right now. Plus 2,000. Those are 20 to 1 odds. Give me them every single time. Like, I, I really like this Texas team. I think they have the players that can do it, the style of play that can do it. And I think it'll be really interesting. Then my longest shot team is North Carolina. I'm kidding. I don't have North Carolina. Don't bet on North Carolina. I, I certainly did, but I wouldn't if I were you guys. It's actually UConn. And the reason I have UConn, they're plus 5,500 right now, and it's because James Booknight is back, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard, James Booknight's going to be the next Kemba Walker, the next Shabazz Napier that just carries a UConn team to the championship. He's been out since January 5th. He came back. He had a great game. He's averaging 20 a game this year for UConn. Love his game. They should have beaten Villanova earlier this year, and they just barely did it at home when they had James Booknight. I, I love this team. I believe they're playing Villanova this Saturday, so look forward to that. But give me every single little bit of James Book Night that I can get. I think it's going to be really interesting. Next thing I want to go over here was actually the Super Bowl. I just wanted to throw out there that I have at the last three weeks of the playoffs, I picked every single game correctly. What? Let's go Tampa Bay. I mean, it was amazing the way their defense played. But the, the thing that impressed me the most in the Super Bowl was actually still Patrick Mahomes. Like, what he was doing was incredible. Had three passes that bounced off receivers helmets had they caught those in the end zone the game would have been completely different he was throwing passes like i've never seen before you know laying from the ground whipping it 30 yards downfield especially if you go back and watch it, it was like in the moment you hardly recognize it because he had no time back there but what he was doing was absolutely incredible out there on the football field it was it was amazing how well patrick Mahomes still played without either of his starting offensive tackles or guard so that was basically my spiel here for the Super Bowl, but I did want to mention that out there. He was absolutely incredible, and it was an absolutely amazing Super Bowl overall. Now it's time to do a little bit of baseball prep. Moving in, I mean, pitchers and catchers have reported the spring training. It's a great feeling knowing that baseball is just around the corner. In my opinion, baseball is the happiest sport there is. Like, basketball is my favorite sport to play, watch, whatever. But baseball is just a happy time of year. Every time I see a baseball game, it's hard to be sad watching it, unless the Cubs are getting smoked, of course. But I'm going to go through real quick here. We're going to do my 10 favorite, I think the 10 best players in baseball right now. So I this is, I, I tend to look a lot into the more recency seasons. I know last year was different with the 60 game season, 
But these are my, you know, my 10 best players in baseball, listed 10 to 1, and we'll go through them here a little bit. At number 10, I got Christian Yelich, and I know what you might be thinking. Of course, the Cubs fan has the Brewer, you know, way too low on the list. But he was bad in 2020. He came into that season, people thought he was going to be the next Barry Bonds with the way he was going to hit. And, and he was bad. He was actually worse than Jason Hayward. I know I said it earlier on the pod, but I got the proof right here for you. His batting average was 205 with an on-base percentage of 356. OPS is 786 with an OPS plus at 111. OPS plus is basically a, a large way of saying that the average batter is 100. So he was about 11% better than the average batter. But if you look at Hayward in 2020, 265 average, 392 on base percentage, 848 OPS, and 129 OPS plus. So he's a, you know had a better season overall. He had the same amount of RBIs and 50 less plate appearances than Christian Yelich did. It was a joke they had earlier in the year, and he played lights out defense there. So Hayward actually, I think, was the better in 2020. But moving forward, I think Yelich is going to bounce back just fine. He, I think he's the 10th best player in baseball. And that leads me into number nine on my list, Cody Bellinger, actually. A year ago, I probably would have had Yelich and Bellinger switch because I thought Yelich's bat was that much better. But they both had down seasons here in 2020, and Cody Bellinger is just a better defensive player. It's as simple as that. Better at defense. Both had down years. Both, I think, are going to bounce back, but I had to mention that. Number eight, we're going to move into Anthony Rendon, you know, the other angel. And quietly, over the last few seasons, 986 OPS with a 155 OPS plus. So 55% better than the average batter. I mean, that's incredible. Honestly, that was his 2020 stats here. And he's been incredible for the last two years. But, you I mean, give me Anthony Rendon at third base. I think he's the best third baseman in baseball. He's the highest ranked third baseman I have. Arenado's in the conversation, of course. Manny Machado. I mean, there's multiple third basemen out there that are great. Alex Bregman as well. A year ago, I probably had Bregman in there. But Anthony Rendon had the best 2020. And 2021, I think going forward, he's going to be there. Someone I have low that had a great 2020, I mean, comparatively to a lot of other rankings, is actually Tatis Jr. His 2020 was incredible, especially before the last two weeks. Uh, the last two weeks, he slowed down a little bit, but 277 average, 366 OB on base percentage, OPS at 937 with a 155 OPS plus. So basically, he's Anthony Rondon with lights out defense, short, and plays shortstop with amazing defense, and can steal bags. He had 11 stolen bases, 17 home runs in the 60 game sample size there. I mean, if he does it for another season, he's going to be the top-ranked shortstop. There's no doubt about it. He's incredible. But right now, I have to give a little bit of a nod to Lindor. I think Lindor has is, is performed not to the peak that Tatis has, but over the last few, like last five years, Lindor's just been the best in baseball. Switch hitting, great defense, everything you want in a shortstop, he's given the Mets this coming year. And I got Lindor at number six. Moving into number five, we're going to go to Ronald Acuna Jr. He's probably the only player in the league that realistically you can get a 40-40 season out of. I know Tatis possibly down the future. People think that Acuna is going to give you a 50-50 season, 50 home runs, 50 stolen bases at some point. Um, if you look at his 162-game average over the last two seasons, 45 home runs, 37 stolen bases, so he's not that far off. He's a 274 batting average over the last two seasons, 374 on base percentage, 905 OPS, and OPS plus at 128, so about 28% better than the average hitter over the last two seasons, and an amazing defensive player out there in the outfield. I, I like Ronald Acuna Jr. a lot. I think he's really impressive. He's got the speed, the power. He's exciting for the fans, and he's awesome. The only pitcher I have on my list actually is Jacob DeGrom, who's been the best pitcher for probably the last three seasons, if not actually probably the last five seasons in reality, but Jacob DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, his stuff's amazing. Like everything he throws is above 90 miles per hour. He can get over the hundreds with the fastball. I remember on opening day, it was funny that his slowest pitch was some slider that came in at like 92 miles per hour that day, and it was faster than Kyle Hendricks's 
best pitch or fastest pitch his fastball on opening day when Hendricks had that amazing shutout on opening day. So just throwing that out there as well. I mean, DeGrom's incredible. His ERA plus uh, over the last two seasons is 188. So he's 88% better than the average pitcher over the last uh, three seasons so far. He strikes out 11 per nine innings. Like, give me Jacob DeGrom out there. I think he's the best pitcher in baseball at this point. And it's really, really amazing what he's doing over there in New York. And I hope that he can get a real deep postseason run this year so everyone can see him on the national stage. Number three, I got another young kid, Gibby Juan Soto. I saw the nickname for him, the Childish Bambino, and I thought that was amazing. I love that nickname for him. Uh, last season was absolutely incredible, like un- otherworldly the way he hit the ball in a very, very short sample size. So if you just look at that, I mean, he had a 351 average in 2020 with a 451 on base percentage, a 1,185 OPS, and a 212 OPS plus last season. So he's 112% better than the average hitter last season in a very short sample size. But if you look at his career, so count the rookie year, the three seasons he's been in the MLB. A 295 average, 415 on base percentage, 972 OPS, and 151 OPS plus. So that's almost as good as Tatis's best you know season this last year. Over, and that's Juan Soto's career OPS as a hitter. He's amazing. We've almost never seen anything like this from somebody this young with this good of an eye who hits on this high of an average. He's incredible, and he's only 22 years old. That's the same age as Fernando Tatis Jr., everyone. Juan Soto is only 22 years old. He's the third best player in baseball, according to me. Moving into my top two, I got number two, Mookie Betts. Uh, Betts is incredible. He had actually almost, I'm going to call it a down year, but an okay year last season. A 301 average, 373 on base percentage, 895 OPS plus, and a 185 OPS, I mean, uh, 895 OPS 135 OPS plus. If you look at the last three seasons since his MVP slash World Series uh, season, 314 average, 405 on base percentage, OPS at 981, and OPS plus at 157. It's incredible. He's incredible. Defensively in right field, he's one of the most electrifying, most amazing players we've ever seen. I know we all saw him in the World Series. He was incredible running the bags, running the bases, everything he did defensively in the outfield. And I know that there was the talk between him and the number one player on my list. But let's be real. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. He's been the best player in baseball. And he might be one of the best players in baseball history and could go down as the best player of all time by the time he's said and done. He's only been in the league for 10 seasons, and he's so young. He has a long time ahead of him. If you count everything he's done in his career, actually, before we get to that, let's look at 2020, because 2020 was a down year for Mike Trout. It was a bad year for him, and he still hit 281 average on base percentage of 390 for a 993 OPS and a 168 OPS plus. 168 on a down year for him in 2020. That is higher than Tatis did last year. That's higher than everybody last year besides Juan Soto that I just mentioned in his worst season. For his career, his OPS is at 1,000. His OPS plus is 176 in his career. We've never seen anything like him. He's the top. He was in the top 20 last year in exit velo on his on all of his hits and, and um, top sprint speed that he had on the field. He was the only player in the top 20 for both. Absolutely incredible player my child is. He's one of the best players ever. It's truly a shame that his team has been so bad. I really hope the Angels figure something out because the world needs to see him in the playoffs doing things. It's not like basketball. It's not like football where Patrick Mahomes can carry a team 
In baseball, your best player gets as many chances as everybody else. You can't give him more chances. It'd be cool if in extra innings or in some way you could get Mike Trout more hits and more at-bats than other players for your team. Then they could go further, but you can't do that in baseball at this point. And Trout's still the absolute best and one of the best in baseball history. You know, this week, I, I want to apologize to you guys all. I'm not going to do the daily preview. We're already running super long. I'll do the daily preview next week when the normal show is a little bit shorter. Uh, so my fun fact this week is also another short one I just wanted to mention. Uh, the fun fact this week is who is the catcher that caught Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game? The answer is Sandy Martinez. Another fun fact about that game is I believe it was the lowest uh, attendance game that season for the Cubs was Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game. It was midday on like a Tuesday, I believe. So not a lot of fans there at the ballpark in May there. But, you know, what I think the greatest game ever pitched, certainly of the greatest games you've ever seen pitched, it was against the best hitting lineup. That was probably the best hitting lineup the Astros have ever had. And Kerry Wood's amazing. I know I'm a Cubs fan, so of course I believe that it's the best game ever. But it, it really is if you look at if you ask me. And that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. I, I promise I'll get back on to the normal schedule here after my life has, has slowed down here a little bit and, and everything should be good to go going forward. Hope everyone has a great week. Make some good sound bets for college basketball and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.